Happy Sunday, everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in for another episode from the Isle of Dr. Garneau. I'm Kelly J. Lewis, and with me today, of course, is Dr. Chris Garneau. As we know, here in Oklahoma, we are one of the first states to open up, one of the last to close, one of the first to open for the COVID emergency. But what we're seeing is what I asked you, what is it, mania to get reopened? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, it's a faction of individuals, but there's, uh, there's been, I guess we're maybe two weeks now where we've seen a lot of protests uh, of individuals who have come together and grouped together <laughs> and generally, now it's interesting when they do get together, sometimes they're socially distanced, but most of the time they're not, uh, and, you know, and they're, they're showing up at, um, at the capitals of, of, of state houses and they're, you know, uh, blocking traffic and doing these kinds of things. Every once in a while, you'll see one of them wearing a mask, which is kind of funny, but, um, anyway, they, their, their general tone is that, uh, the economy is struggling. The economy is hurting. They want to go back to work, these kinds of things. Um, and I think part of it is it's not just that they want to get back to work. It's that they want to go to Applebee's or something. Uh, and they miss their life before. Um, also, would like to mention from what I've seen, and again, I've, I haven't been to one of these rallies because there's no way I would ever go near those rallies. Um, uh, it sounds dangerous, but it generally seems to be a lot of, how, how would I say it, uh, 50 and older white people. Um, it's, of course, not 100% accurate, but I'd be willing to bet about 75% of those crowds fit that description. I would say, yeah, probably about there, there are some who want to start young and are like 35 ish, but yeah. well, and here's the thing too, the tactical gear, I understand gathering peacefully to protest and having a placard and even contacting your representative, even showing up at the Capitol to, to make your voice heard. I get all that. However, why do you got to be armed like that? That's, that's the question that I'm asking all around is, and, and, and here's the thing too, if you're brown, you can't be armed like that. If you're a group of black or brown folks, you can't arm yourself and go to the Capitol and actually get into the governor's office. Yeah, that's what's really surprised me too. You see this in the photos that they're all like, heavily armed like we're talking semi-automatics or you know the uh you know the ar-15 or whatever they're allowed to, to carry and i think part of it is this idea that well i have a constitutional right to do as i please the constitution doesn't say that uh that the government can tell me where to go and where not to go and if i can have a gun and, and not have a gun which isn't true by the way the states have the authority to 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 make these decisions. Um, but that's, I think they're kind of conflating these things together. Like I have a second amendment, right? I have, I have the right to leave my house if I want. Um, and, and by the way, there's no one's going to throw you in jail. If you go outside right now, it's just that the restaurants and the bars during lockdown could not be open. So uh, I think some of it's hyperbole and then like conflating this idea that like they're going to be hauled off to prison. No one, as far as I know in the United States has been hauled off to prison for leaving their home or attempting to walk down main street somewhere. Um, it's just th those are the guidelines and recommendations that have been put forth. But yeah, 
there is this, all, this, this weird thing, and this is historical in the United States, where uh, white people get to carry around guns and black and brown people don't. In fact, um, one of the most interesting things about the beginning, a quick little, little history tidbit I learned not too long ago, um, about the NRA. So the NRA is a heavily white group, but uh, before it became this big behemoth of a gun, gun ad- advocacy group that it is today, it really was just a hunter's club. Like, um, I think my dad was a member for a while and he was not a gun nut. Like all we had, we had a few, few guns around the house, but you know, we were, we were farmers. So we used them, um, usually for shooting, uh, shooting coyote or, or, or something that porcupines that got close. Yep. Varmints that got close to the cattle. That was it, you know, maybe a little game hunting, but, uh, he was a member of the NRA, but he was not one of these, like, we didn't have guns for the sake of having guns. He wasn't a collector. He didn't, didn't go crazy. I never had any lectures uh, that I remember about it's our God given right to have guns. That was never a thing, but you know, he was a member because he got some benefits and whatever little magazine. So the NRA was really just like this hobby club sort of, so to speak. So this all happened in the 1970s in Oakland, California, um, way before Black Lives Matter, when uh, black residents in Oakland, California, were being gunned down, especially black men, at alarming rates by the police. And so at that time in California, you could have in Oakland, you could carry a gun with you if you got it legally, uh, legally registered. So you saw a rapid increase in black men starting to purchase uh, legal firearms so that they could protect themselves if they were you know, illegally stopped or, you know, wrongfully uh, had their life put in danger by a police officer. Well, then Governor Ronald Reagan, who became the president later, uh, he was then the governor of California. He actually all of a sudden was in favor of gun control once all these black men started to get guns. Um, Same thing happened in South Dakota when members of the American Indian movement started to uh, uh, collect guns uh, and register them because the FBI was making random stops out uh, at different uh, different homesteads, and um, that was uh, if if you know if listeners are, are familiar with the the history of what happened with Leonard Peltier, that was that was that around that time um, where the American Indian movement was getting really nervous about the FBI being around, and so you had a lot of uh, a lot of tribal members out there. Uh, buying uh, buying firearms for the first time, the government took notice, and that's when they started uh, in in South Dakota. That's when they started to really put down some hard restrictions on, and they started to become uh, pro gun regulation. So, just two examples of of when you see Republicans in our history, for some strange reason, all of a sudden want to have gun <laughs> gun restrictions, but it's never when the white people get the guns, right? No, never. And, and that's why I'm saying, you know, and I made the the joke of, well, if you went to the Oklahoma State Capitol and you went with an AR-15 and Thomas went armed with an AR-15, he would be gunned down and they right. would let you in to Governor Stitt's office. I'd probably give me a medal or something. I don't know. You know, like just to be like, oh, congratulations. Thanks for being a good patriot. No, totally. Um not only that, but you know the, some of the images that they showed from the the Michigan State House is interesting because they had armed guards there just in case. And in of course, the protesters were like, "Why would you have the military here? You, it's it's the National Guard, but why would you have armed guards here? If, you know, we're just 
you know, demonstrating our second amendment rights because you're acting like a bunch of lunatics. That's why. Like when someone's, if someone's yelling, if, if, a, if, a, if a mob, and I'm sorry, it looks like a mob. I know you're calling it a group, but it looks like a mob. If a mob storms a building with a bunch of guns and they're all screaming, yes, they're going to call the National Guard. Um, and that's just kind of what happens. But there's images of, of some of these, these mob members like scre- literally screaming in the face of National Guard members. And they had the local police, from what I understand, in Michigan um, there in Lansing actually protecting the governor in her office while this all was going on. I mean, that's kind of, it's scary stuff when you think about it. Like, I don't think they realize how scary they seem to people who don't wear mega hats. Well, and just the public in general, I mean, there can be no mistake about carrying a weapon like that. You know that you're going to intimidate people. You know in your mind how many people there are out there who are just flat out uncomfortable with a weapon that size not just guns but you know a a big one a fast one and it's and that's 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 like you said it's intimidation and it's show and it's like i in, in some ways it's it's uh a ramped up version of you know, souping up your truck and putting it on stilts and that it, it's, it's toys and it's children wanting to show that they have bigger toys than others. Um, it's, it's a tantrum. I think maybe is a better way to think of it. I think it's, it's, it, and by the way, you're, you're allowed to do it. Uh, I guess as long as you're not endangering someone else or breaking laws, you're allowed to do it, but there's a lot of things that you're allowed to do, but you're still kind of a jerk if you do it. So it, I mean, it, it, I don't think they're uh, free from scrutiny. Like I think it's, it's perfectly fine to scrutinize this stuff, but it's happening at a national level. Um, so, you know, Michigan's been a really big one because there's a democratic governor and there are a lot of Trump supporters in Michigan. Um, and I think we've seen it more in States. Minnesota is another one uh, that has a democratic governor, but more in States with democratic governors um, in South Dakota, I thought this was interesting. Uh, just saw this today. So Governor Christy Noem, um, she's a Republican. Uh, the construction workers threw her a parade today because she refused to, she was one of just a handful of states, just a few that refused to order a shelter in place order during the COVID-19, the height of COVID-19. South Dakota never went on shelter in place. And so they threw her a parade today in South Dakota, just an impromptu parade. Um, so, yeah, I mean, things are it's it's interesting. It's this group uh, and this group of people that are, are doing the protests or the parades or what have you generally don't like it when black and brown people <laughs> march and do these kinds of things. Uh, but, you know, they're they seem to be, shall we say, agitated right now. Um, and it's. It's interesting because if you look at Black Lives Matter, why were they protesting? Because black men were being killed. Unarmed black men were being killed for no apparent reason. And if you look at the current protests, why are they happening? Because, again, they can't go to Applebee's, right? I mean, that's if there's no other description of white privilege or no better description of white privilege, I, you know, in, in my mind, I, I just don't know how else you could uh, formulate that. But that's that's how I see it. 
it's just really beyond. And, and here's the thing. Why is this allowed in Democratic states and not in Republican states? And, and is it, I guess it's because it's not just not happening. Because, like, if you look at Kevin Stitt, the Oklahoma governor, I mean, his response was completely lackadaisical. It was late. It was slow even when it got moving. It wasn't taken seriously, and he was one of the first to open up. So we haven't even really taken that seriously. And Yeah. So, go ahead. Oh, and, and in Oklahoma, I just wanted to mention this, too. And this is why we're seeing it in states that have Democratic governors. Oklahoma had kind of a, a half attempt at some kind of protest at a shopping mall parking lot or so. I don't know. It was ridiculous. But again, Stitt is a Republican, so he's not he's not going to get those, you know, armed crowds of people, um, even even if he. And he did issue a shelter in place order and Oklahoma business has been affected by it. But again, this is all political. This is this is a target that's been thrown at Democratic officials that, you know, well, specifically Democratic governors in these states. Well, and so here's something that's scary. The. Oklahoma governor, you know, of course, the state legislature is trying to end unemployment benefits and saying that they're going to refuse the federal dollars that come in for that. What? Yeah. It, okay, so it's, it's part of the, uh, I mean, I think it's part of the small government ethos. You know, like, uh, we, it, it, you know, you can trace this back to uh, a decade ago when they wouldn't take the Medicaid expansion. Um, basically Oklahoma thumbing its nose at the federal government saying, well, we don't need, we don't need the welfare handout. Well, it's not, you know, not welfare. It's people are actually hurting right now. Um, It's going to be devastating. I mean, it's just, it's, it's nonsensical. When I read that the first time I thought, I, why, why would you possibly do that? And then it makes sense. Of course, you know, because we, you know, it's, we've, we've have a a track record, a, a history of doing this with, you know, with our leadership. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're as, as a state, we've got a lot of challenges coming up. The governor talked about a 1.3 billion with a B, uh, projected $1.3 billion budget shortfall that is projected for next year. Uh, Oklahoma is in an intensely vulnerable position. Number one, because of the virus. Yes. Uh, but number two, because of things that are totally outside of our control, like Saudi Arabia, um, if you notice gas prices are hinging a, around a buck a gallon at some places, buck 20, um, buck 40 at the most. So uh, that's directly affecting our oil producers. And the issue that we've had is we've had this mantra of getting our eggs in one basket for a very long time now. Um, we haven't really diversified our economy because it's been an we're an oil state and we're going to be an oil state. Well, when you do that, you're kind of at the whims. Like Oklahoma has no control over what Saudi Arabia is going to do. So it's, it's always boom or bust. That's not a good sound economic model. Places like Oklahoma city and Tulsa, they've got jobs. They've got more educated people. They've got, you know, um, larger businesses outside of the oil industry that can survive this, you know, but for a lot of Oklahomans, 
think about this. If the oil and gas industry is operating on a shoestring budget, you know, they're talking about Harold Hamm declaring bankruptcy of all things. Um, if they're operating on a shoestring budget, that means there's a lot of unemployed people. And then for the state to say, no, we're not going to take, you know, we're, we're not going to expand this unemployment program. We're going to see some really, really rough times ahead if we don't correct course. So I was really concerned about that as well. Well, and that all goes back to, I say, these Republican governors falling in line to crush the lower income families because that's what it feels like because they're not real. I mean, Harold Ham, Harold Ham's going to declare bankruptcy. I mean, and I'm putting my air quotes up. Yep. When when I say that, because there are so many protections that he can fall under and you can't tell me that he didn't get some sort. He doesn't get some sort of government welfare, corporate welfare because of his involvement in the oil and gas industry and how big he is and loves and all that. He get he probably gets more uh more government subsidies than you or I or my business. Oh, totally. He's seen um, federal support. I haven't as a small business owner. You know, and, and that's a really good point. Let's shift to that really quick. Um, this part of the pandemic and the response from the government, it's been really interesting to see the dynamics between big and small business because it's it's and, you know, Democrats have kind of dipped their toes in this a little bit, too. But Republicans have traditionally been the party of big business. And we're starting to see this with Trump, that it, it was the big businesses got all these weird loopholes when it came to the small business loans. So the small business loan fund uh, that that the Congress passed, I think it was three hundred and fifty billion out of that first stimulus um, that got dried really fast. And so they had to pass another one. Um, or get another one on on tap. One of the things I they they had a list of major. We're talking about big major corporations who are able to use loopholes to get some of that small business money. Some of them luckily have given it back, but one of them, this is what blew me away, was the the Los Angeles Lakers. The mm-hmm. entire sports organization filed and received money for a small business loan because they were able to finagle the numbers in such a way. And they did give the money back, but not until it went public. Um, it, it, and that's, that's crazy because small businesses make up the, the largest number. Like if you just look at how many businesses we have across the country, most of them are small businesses and and a really high percentage of our employees nationwide are hired by smaller, medium sized businesses. But again, it just feels like, these large, like, tell me the Lakers are, are a small business, right? Um, that they're able to jump in on this and, and, and work the system in such a way uh, to be able to get more and more handouts. So, yeah, they're, they're definitely also on the government welfare, if you want to think about it that way. Uh, in some ways, I think they're some of the, the largest government uh, welfare recipients. Um, while we're on the, the, uh, the topic of small business, I, I'd like to, I'm interested to see how the response from Oklahoma is going to be. I know today is officially the day um, where a lot of reopenings can happen. Uh, I heard, uh, speaking of the NBA, uh, Dallas Mavericks uh, CEO, Mark Cuban, he was speaking on CNN the other day. And he was talking about, in I think in, in Texas, maybe his home state, one of the orders was, you know, restaurants can open back up, whatever can open back up, but uh, certain businesses 
had to be at a 25% capacity. And he said, essentially, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the reopening happens because at 25%, for a lot of small businesses, that's not enough to justify the cost of opening up again. And mix that with the fact that polls show 70 to 80% of Americans, even they said, if things open up again, are you comfortable going out to bars, restaurants, et cetera? 70 to 80% of Americans are uncomfortable. Um, so they won't be leaving their houses anyway. So yeah, we're opening up, but we're not necessarily opening up the same way in every state. So uh, here's, here's how I feel about it, Kelly. Um, I, this is what I told my kid. He's like, Hey, May 1st, we can, can we go do stuff? I'm like, um, Nope. So what we're going to do is sit around for about two weeks. Cause that's the lag time to figure out what's going to happen. And I'm going to be watching those numbers like a hawk from our house. And uh, at the end of that two weeks, I'll make a decision as, as to what we can do. But uh, I think there are a lot of other families across the country right now that are going to be doing the same thing um, as a private family decision to just kind of wait and see what's going to happen, because I don't necessarily trust states reopening as, you know, a green light for, hey, everything's OK again. Yeah, and I think that that has that distinction has to be made, and that's where the personal responsibility comes in because we are not getting back in the studio anytime soon. We are actually not even getting back in the studio through the month of May, and that's my own personal precautions as a business owner because I see that we really didn't stop here in Chickasha and here in Southwest Oklahoma. And we don't know what we're up against. And so right. I feel like the longer that we can, that we can do these things remotely, I think the better off that we're going to be, but we don't know about the resurgence in the fall. I mean, that's us doing everything that we can do. We're just a few people. Right. And uh, in, in if you look at uh, across the, across the state there are certain jobs or i think i think certain industries that are maybe under a bit of more of a pressure to have to open because and i'm thinking about the service industry specifically like um nail salons uh hair salons barbershops those kinds of things um it gets complicated when you know you have an employee or employees who don't feel comfortable coming back to work and, and the business owners are in a really strange position where, well, do I impose like you have to come to work or I can't employ you anymore? I mean, we, we don't know because it's not normal time. So it is weird to just kind of handpick some kinds of industries um, that can come back to work and, and those that can't. Uh, before we got on the air, Kelly, I know you had mentioned to me uh, my mayor, Bree Clark, is uh, being sued by was it? Was it hairdressers or nail, nail, nail salon owners? What nail, was it? nail salons, yes. Yeah. Um, I, I think the it's interesting. I don't know. I don't know the law that well. I think the grievance is that they've suffered an undue, um, undue amount of hardship. But uh, I'm pretty sure the mayor of a municipal, municipality has the power to do that. Uh, and that falls under the health, safety, and well-being of the citizens of a city now i and it's not that i don't feel for people who own those businesses i'm sure it really really hurts um and hopefully there's enough uh enough money from the stimulus that those small business loans can be extended to them to help them kind of float by 
but at the same time, it's if you, especially if you think about, and I'm, I'll be honest, I've never gotten a manicure or a pedicure, so I have no clue what goes on with it. I'm sure it's wonderful, um, but that's really close contact. I mean, that's a that that's one of those jobs that that just requires. I mean, it's really hard during social distancing to be able to justify jobs where you, I mean, you're just really you have to be touching another person. Well, you've gotten a haircut, and you see how in your space they are with your haircut. And then imagine them massaging your hands and your feet. So that's that's pretty close. So with our last couple of minutes, and this is something them damn Indians have been asking about this week. Do you, sir, in fact, feel Trump was being sarcastic when he introduced the notion of injecting disinfectant? Or do you think that he was serious only to realize the huge public gaffe, leaving his supporters to completely do a 180 and defend him. <laughs> yeah, I, this is this is classic Trump. He says something stupid, and it was stupid. It was I, if you're defending it, if you're defending him, you, you're just you're just a blind lackey. I'm sorry. Like it's you can't defend that. Here, here's what you do: the president messed up on what he said, but he doesn't ever take responsibility for anything. He never apologizes and notice his supporters do the exact same thing. They defend everything. They never say it was a gaffe. They never say it was a mistake. So he comes out and no, I don't believe it was sarcastic because I, I watched the whole thing. I watched it. I, I watched the speech the the really cool scientist gave before Trump got up there. I watched the whole thing. He was not being sarcastic. He was being earnest and genuine. And he just, said something that was so scientifically inaccurate. He was out of his lane. He needed to be doing what he's supposed to be doing. He didn't do it. So what does he do? He says, I was being sarcastic. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt, which I'm not. Hypothetically, let's say he was being sarcastic. That's not the time to be sarcastic. National pandemic, people are dying, not the time to be sarcastic. We need a real leader who's serious, who's doing things seriously. Um, and I... <laughs> Uh, although I'm going to be hundred percent honest, Kelly, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm surprised or shocked at his uh, conduct in, in all of this. I mean, it's kind of par for the course. So I'll just kind of leave you, leave it at that. Yeah, it, it was shocking to, well, and here's the thing too. And we're going to start seeing this more and more and more as November creeps up on us is otherwise seemingly normal, intelligent people like have that like Trump switch where it's like you hit the Trump switch and it's like all of a sudden it's this irrational defense of no, 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 no. He was being sarcastic. No, 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 he was. But you were arguing with me before that that was the cure. Yeah, I know. Uh, total cognitive dissonance. Like, Great leader said it's the cure. It's got to be the cure. Wait, great leader says he's being sarcastic. He was sarcastic. Um, yeah, I, I think there, there's, I, I call it the, I, I like the switch. I always call it the dear leader effect, but yeah, we can call it a switch. That's actually pretty good. Um, yep. Leading up to this election, we're going to see even more of this uh, craziness, buffoonery. And uh, here's one thing I, I will say moving up. Joe Biden's got to get better. He's got to get his stuff together uh, and he's got to be ready because Trump, he, he's not going to win a debate on the facts and the ideas. He's going to win a bait be, debate because he can bully. And I don't know what Biden's going to do, but if he can't 
get his days straight. And I'm not trying to make fun of the guy, but man, he's some days he's doesn't seem like he's on it. Um, he's got an uphill battle. Well, and with the sexual assault accusations now, now that he's emerged a little bit, it's hitting him right in the face. Everything is just coming down on him. So it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, and they're calling him the presumptive nominee. So yeah. not even the media is convinced that he's going to be the one. So it's going to be interesting to see how it ends up. But whatever you're doing, make sure that you um, stay informed and learn about the best ways to vote. That's going to be a thing that we need to talk about in the upcoming episodes from the Isle of Garneau is about voter suppression and how easy it's going to be during this crazy changing time that we find yep. ourselves in. Exactly. Um, and, and I think like uh, we, we, we've been so preoccupied with COVID-19 for good reason, kind of forgot there's an election going on. <laughs> there's a, an election coming up pretty soon. Um, we're about half a year away from it and we still don't know how we're going to be voting. So yeah, definitely. Let's keep that on tap for future episodes. Uh, because I, I think, you know, I saw the other day Trump said he's opposed to mail-in voting. Well, okay, well, let's let's see what happens with this. There's all kinds of efforts towards voter suppression. Um, and yeah, let's get on top of it. Absolutely. Thanks so much for tuning in, folks, and listening to another episode from the Isle of Dr. Garneau. I'm Kelly J. Lewis with Dr. Chris Garneau. Don't forget, if you missed this or any of our past episodes, all you got to do is catch up with those wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to the Talk Jive homepage and click the podcast tab. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Have a great day.